0: okay um welcome mobina to the muslim care center podcast uh, where we talk about uh mental health and addictions and uh leaders like yourself and professionals that work in this area and uh, how you can help people muslims non-muslims and you know just uh, really especially in this uh, i think we're now 13 months in covid lockdowns and how mental health and addiction issues have been skyrocketing so I digress. So let's uh, do an introduction. Uh, Mobina Hassan, please uh, introduce yourself. You do a lot of work with the Muslim Food Bank and and others. And uh, so please introduce yourself, your background, and we can get started.
1: Okay. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. So thank you, Tariq, for inviting me uh, today. And uh, thank you, Yusuf, uh, for supporting with the recording of this. Really appreciate it. So, a brief introduction of myself. Um, I um, identify myself first as a mom of uh, two beautiful souls. Uh, I'm also a daughter of parents who are very proud of my of me. Uh, I'm a wife of a man who believes that I'm a superhero, a business owner where my staff thinks I need to have more time for myself. And um, above all, the reason why you've invited me today is because um, I'm a traumatologist, I'm a clinical social worker, and uh, I help people get unstuck from their past. And uh, this is my second profession. Uh, First profession was in corporate world, which lasted around 20 years uh, prior to moving to Canada. So we moved to Canada in 2008, and since then I have been in this profession.
0: And and when you talk about the corporate world, it is a a big transition to go from the corporate world to uh, to uh, mental health care and and counseling, uh, how did that happen? How did that uh, transition or that decision to change your career path?
1: Oh, interesting you asked that. So um, both my parents were in business. Uh, so I was basically groomed to be taking over the business. And uh, my parents encouraged me to uh, get into uh, the business, grad school, MBA, and um, basically, I spent uh, 20 years in business world. Um, I met my husband there. We had a global capitalistic career for five years, both of us. And then we finally settled in Bangladesh. And my husband also, being from the business background, my in-laws were in business as well. So so I lived a perfect incubator life to think only of the bottom line for many, many years. So. Um, Moving fast forward, um, why I transitioned, um, I was just not successful in my life as um, in the corporate world. It wasn't making sense to me. Um, it wasn't meaningful and, and I wasn't growing. Like I felt I was just stuck in that place. Um, and then uh, uh, a spiritual experience happened and I call that the story of uh, two women and 100 chickens. <laughs> uh, I actually had 100 chicken in the car, and I saw two women uh, plucking feathers from the skin on the road, um, chicken feathers from the roadside. And I was uh, grocery shopping or wet market shopping, call it in Bangladesh. We lived at that time. And I then I saw them, I felt gross, seeing that, and I didn't think much of it. And then after a couple of days, my husband said to me, uh, wish you would have bought a little less chicken. And uh, that question actually triggered me. And I was like, okay, is this really meaningful? Those women were plucking feathers and here we have leftover. And is this really meaningful life? And th- that was the time we were moving to Canada. And that was the time when I said, okay, I'm not going to go to Canada and be in the same capitalistic environment and go back to business or work over here. And that's when I decided to move into social work.
0: Yeah. And, and that decision, because it is uh, dealing uh, not only with your, your, uh, your own psychology because to hear you know traumatic issues from multiple people uh, multiple problems it, it does uh, it does take a lot of uh, mental strength and emotional strength to be able to to do this kind of work and uh, as you know uh, one thing is is physical health and when somebody's physical health is deteriorating but but in terms of quality of life, if somebody's mental health, if they're depressed, if there is, a, you know, a relationship that didn't work out or a death in the family or uh, a financial uh, situation didn't work out or a loss, there are many reasons that, that people uh, go into mental health issues. So taking that on, that that's, that's, that's a very big responsibility. How did you... How are you able to, to manage yourself when you have to hear day in, day out, all, all manners of, of problems, big and small, that people have?
1: Hmm. So, so, Tarek, I, I hear a couple of questions and I would, I'm, I'm a storyteller, so I would like to share my story prior to I answer a couple of your questions there. So I struggled, I struggled with mental health myself and I did not realize what it was. And it was from a very young age. Um, Both uh, mine and my husband's side of the family are from the military background. My uh, both side of paternal and maternal parents, uh, grandparents came from India uh, in very horrific situations. So before I was even born, um, my, my grandparents, my parents, uncle, aunts, they all lived through that trauma. And it was, of course, undiagnosed, untreated, no awareness. And now uh, I was the first one on both sides of the family. And now I'm born and I'm like very young and I'm noticing That there's something wrong. Like, even at a young age, I knew there was something wrong. I, uh, like, if today I think of it, I recall being very depressed. And I probably, like, from a very young age, like, even at the age of six or seven, um, I used to think, oh my gosh, it would be better off if I was dead. And uh, I still recall thinking, um, like, from now, like, at this time, I still recall thinking in those days that. I used to think, oh my gosh, if I if I could write a note, and I couldn't write at that time, right? I was so young that if I could write a note to my parents and just tell them that how I am feeling, and maybe I'll just tell them I want to die. So I struggled through that mental health at that time. So it was a very lived experience for me, and um, so this uh, and there were various reasons, as I said traumatic experiences of the family, a lot of conflict in the family. Uh, And of course, uh, absent parents, they were struggling financially, not struggling that way, but uh, full-time working in their own business. Uh, So the responsibility of bringing me up and all my cousins in the three-generational home where we all lived was on uncles and aunts to take care. And uh, one uncle did surely take care of all the female cousins and there was incest as well in the family. So it was just a lot going on. And um, at the age of seven, I remember my parents taking me to a psychologist (laughs) and I uh, literally ran away from there because I knew uh, the psychologist would put me in a madhouse and I was mad. And um, then it was... um, of course, I got a good beating after that, <laughs> but uh, that that's the story of my mental health. So when I was growing up, it took me, let's say, till early 20s to really recognize that I was depressed and this was not normal. Thinking of death and not wanting to live was not normal. And uh, slowly, I self care coping methods reading books but it was never out there i never shared it with anyone and eventually i met meet my husband and that's when he said oh i feel you're depressed you're reading all these books that you're depressed and um yeah so life became a better with him uh, with the graduate school living the world and then um, when we moved to Canada, that's the time I realized that no, I I need to do something which is meaningful, and whatever I was doing was not meaningful for me. So, your question on how I deal with it, uh, right now, I I went for my own therapy, uh, intensive therapy, trauma therapy, um, and the meaning I draw from my lived experience uh, is so helpful uh, that I can. Support people. Uh, I I understand them. Uh, so it's not just listening to them, but listening to somewhat similar type of stories that I have gone through, and then being able to provide them the support that they need. So yes, it's uh, it's a very rewarding experience uh, to be able to help people at uh, so early in. Uh, and they don't have to wait like I have to wait like in their like I got my mental health support I think I was 40 years of age like where I professionally went to a therapist and got that support yeah so that's that's a lot of lot of uh, um, content I just gave you sorry about that
0: no 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 it, That 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 was very powerful because I think I think a lot of people whether they have mental health or addiction issues they want to know that whoever's helping them knows and, and and because you've had your own mental health issues. I think that that really helps you help others because you've been there. You've been in that darkness, like, like other people are in and somebody who's gone out the other side. And that leads me to say that in terms of your, your, your breakthroughs, like how do you find just in terms of the therapy that you received, the help that you received, how did that, uh, how did, how do you find from before you went into treatment and therapy and counseling before you went into that uh, your life before and then the 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 time period in which you you had therapy however many weeks or months or years and then to kind of this maybe cathartic other side of, of where, where you're you have tools to to manage your emotional states uh, I know that's a, a lot kind of thrown at you there but but just in terms of, of that arc of, of where you were through the treatment, through the, the counseling and where you are now and how you're able to manage your, your own mental health issues.
1: So um, Tariq, the first challenge which I noticed going through my own mental health was uh, my own emotional regulation. At a young age, and and that's why my parents took me to a psychologist because uh, they, I was very angry. I was a very angry child, a lot of tantrums, um, and that continued, actually, uh, throughout my teenage. So a lot of acting out behaviors, and parents couldn't make sense of what was happening. And then because of my emotional regulation, I felt... I was also having challenges in my relationship, especially with my parents and my uh, siblings and my, uh, my intergenerational big home that we lived in with everyone. And everyone was having problems with everybody else too. Um, so m- mood regulation, relationship issues, and then... Uh, not being happy, just like, okay, whatever I did, even with the accomplishment, there was always this negative narrative that was going on in the back of my mind. So just not being comfortable or at peace with myself. And then um, the 100 chicken and two women story happened. And moved to Canada, went into social work. And social work programs are very reflective programs where you have to do your own journey and discover yourself. And that's the time that I realized, oh, I have to go get some professional help. And then I did. And once I did, I could feel that, oh my gosh, there's a big fog or a curtain taken away. And then my relationship improved with my parents. And I could support them. I, as I healed myself, I was I noticed I was healing my parents as well. Because, of course, my, my father is 80 and my mother is like mid-70s. They would never go for mental health help. Uh, and so I was the one, I feel, who helped them, helped my family. So it's like one person who heals. Then it is like, okay, how is that ripple effect affecting the family? So we are, as a family, in a much better place. Uh, as I change my profession, and interestingly, my my sister also uh, changed her profession and went and educated herself in mental health. So yeah, quite a ripple effect for all of us.
0: And and did your other family members? Um, uh, did they also go for for? Uh therapy, treatment as well? And no. You, your sister?
1: No, no, nobody did. My, my parents, of course, are in complete denial, right? So my father was in the military, PTSD. Uh, he, if I ever tell him you have PTSD, he says, soldiers don't have this. What is this yeah. PTSD? Don't talk to me about these fancy words. I'm a soldier. And he was a fighter pilot, so you can imagine where he's coming from. No, nobody yeah. did.
0: This this kind of stiff upper lip and grin and bear it and uh, don't talk about your problems. That type of yeah. attitude.
1: Right, right. We we only were allowed to think from our head, no emotions, and we just I acted out with my emotions. I thought with my head, but actions were behaviors were very emotional driven. So there was a lot of disconnect or discourse there.
0: And. And in, in terms of your well-being now uh, compared to how you were with the therapy, your therapy, was that uh, several months or, or is it ongoing or for those that aren't aware, uh, you know, uh, I think a lot of us, you know, we, uh, if we're Woody Allen fans, and we talk about uh, Woody Allen and his uh, going mm-hmm. to his therapist and his psychiatrist and, you know, that type of format or, or Carl Jung or Sigmund Freud that's sitting in that chair and, talking about childhood and mother issues, and uh, just to the stigma or the misunderstanding of, of the work and how it helps people for mental health issues, how, how can we explain to the audience that, that this is kind of the format and this is what the potential um, uh, outcomes could be uh, based on the work? So,
1: so Tariq my first... Uh round of therapy was when i was i think just 40 just turned 40 that was um, 12 years ago yeah so and uh, it was intensive uh, trauma therapy because by that time i was already aware of the trauma i did a lot of research of what type of therapy i wanted and i went for that therapy And then I was not a trauma therapist at that time. I was just a clinician. Um, And then when I did that trauma therapy, I realized that how effective that specific type of therapy was. So I'm referring to eye movement desensitization or reprocessing. And that is uh, the abbreviation is EMDR. So I did EMDR therapy and then I went and trained myself and so, now, as a clinician myself, as a trauma therapist, um, if there's a trigger for me, uh, I would go to my colleagues and uh, professionals to get that help. still now, all to be very honest, maybe it's important for audience to know that all therapists have their therapist. Um, so, if there's a trigger, I do get help. And um, uh, interestingly, uh, as I was telling you, that there's incest in the family. So uh, when I went and told my parents, my parents said denied initially, but then they accepted and cut off the uncle. So I didn't have to do therapy for that specific uh, trauma because that trauma got resolved when my parents cut off the uncle. So what I'm trying to say here is not for all trauma, therapy is really required. Um, And then a couple of years after that, the trauma gets resolved. But then I went back to my parents and I said, in a very dramatic way, uh, and I said, I forgive you. And my father in his naive, uh, very innocent and very honest way, asked me for what? And that was another trauma for me. And we still as a family laugh about it, but then I had to do therapy for that specific event where my father asked me for what. What basically I'm trying to say here is that we may think we have trauma, it gets resolved. We may think, oh, it's such a small event, but we may need more help for that. Like for me, I didn't need help for the incest at all, but I needed help for this other one. And it could be a very small incident like this. And then when I do have, I work with clients who have similar stories as mine, I may get triggered. And that's when I would go and speak to a colleague and sit down in the client chair. So it's an ongoing process. And uh, the message on which I'm trying to really pass on here is that it's okay to get help uh, even a tra- trauma therapist goes and gets help.
0: The kind of help that uh, that we're talking about, are you able to walk us through the structure of how, you know, just, just what somebody could expect in terms of, you know, coming in? Is it more discussion? Are you more listening to what they're saying? Or is it a guided kind of, you know, how do you feel about this or... Is, is could you maybe describe how a session would look like or, uh, or is everyone individual in how you'd approach?
1: So um, every therapist have their own approach, but there is a standard industry practice. So I'm going to talk about that. So uh, the first step is to, I recommend everyone to, Book some time with the therapist. Couple of therapists. Um, most of the people would provide thirty minutes free consultation, no charge. Meet at least three therapists, and that would give you an idea whether it's a right fit uh, between you and the therapist. That that therapeutic relationship is very critical, more critical than the. Type of therapy. Uh, Once you know the right therapist and the therapeutic fit, uh, discuss with them their approaches and what uh, your goals are. So, the way I work is I ask my clients, What do you want different in your life in one month, three months, and then six months? And then we start working towards those goals. I do, or every therapist would do a psychosocial assessment to understand uh, based on what the client wants to achieve, and then uh, use those specific interventions which are a fit for the client, their goals, as well as what the therapist is trained in. So every therapist is trained in different approaches and methods.
0: And in terms of your, um, like for uh, just talking about COVID and COVID has created a lot of mental health issues of like depression, anxiety, um, you know, different types of psychosis. And what are you finding before COVID and now in 13 months into the COVID crisis, what are the common ailments that people are having uh, because of being isolated uh, lack of socializing, uh, how we used to being able to sit in restaurants, to be able to go to the office. Like, what are the what are the common ailments that people are coming to before COVID and now in COVID that 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 are a marked difference?
1: So last year, around the same time, um, I was noticing clients more experiencing fear. And fear leads to anxiety. And it's not that people are not experiencing anxiety right now, but it is more of a depressive symptoms. So uh, anxiety is there, but more associated with sadness. Uh, So anxiety is driven by fears. Uh, depression is driven by sadness so uh, my what i'm noticing is people are fatigued at this moment and that's why uh there are and so many losses uh, everyone has experienced in some way or the other and that's where depressive symptoms are more prevalent at this moment
0: and what you're saying about sadness leads to depression. And, you know, I think, uh, again, maybe in our community to understand these terms, depression, um, anxiety, and uh, psychosis, I know these are big terms and big definitions, but let's talk about depression. Uh, So in terms of depression, or sadness leading to depression, can you maybe walk us through just that process of, of somebody coming to you that has depression for a different reason? And what some of the, the therapies and treatments that are available for people with depression?
1: So when a person would contact a therapist, uh, generally they would not say uh, the diagnosis. They would say, I'm feeling low or I don't know what's happening, I can't sleep, I can't eat, um, I can't focus. Uh, So they they talk more about their symptoms. There are some very savvy people who would have already read about those symptoms on internet and then they start using the word, I'm depressed. So when a person would come in and they identify those symptoms, the first thing I would do is run a psychometric testing um send them the user platform i send them the screening they complete it in the session with me if it's a virtual session if it's an office session they would do it in the office and that would right away uh indicate to me uh what is happening with them are they meeting the depression criteria or not and then of course there is a history taking process and then the most uh, common approach in terms of uh, therapy for depression and anxiety is cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, And we work with cognitive behavioral therapy um, and it's good results with CBT. Yeah.
0: And CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy, is that the Q and A format where? A lot of questions. Getting the the patient to, to open up about the why, the reason. Um, could could mental health issues be exacerbated with physical health problems? If somebody's significantly overweight, not really taking care of themselves, the abusive relationships, or or it's a each individual has a you know maybe multiple factors that that could be causes of depression or 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 in absence of those external issues, they just have a natural tendency to be sad and depressed. Uh, what is the, you know, it's such a big field. And, uh, you know, I know uh, myself, you know, uh, we've, we've all felt low in different ways for different reasons, uh, whether we have a reason or we don't. Um, but, uh, but in terms of the cognitive behavioral therapy, um, how do you measure it? How do you measure the, uh, the, the scale or the intensity of somebody's mental health issue?
1: So first is, as I said, the psychometric testing that tells us the severity of the issue. Then second is the, uh, we, uh, there are different approaches within CBT as well. So my approach is I would ask the client what they want, change, or different in one month. And I would not go into deeper issues unless the client is ready to address those deeper issues. Uh, in, In the profession, it is common terminology used is If you peel the onion, there is more that comes out from there. So if we speak about talking more about the deeper issues and the person is not ready for it, they don't have the time or the capacity, financial, uh, we don't need to. We need to help them. I, this is my, my way, I need to help them in the moment what they're experiencing. So CBT is excellent to deal with in the moment what the person is experiencing. Uh, Now, in terms of uh, what the therapy looks like, uh, it's changing thoughts to change emotions, as simple as that. Changing behaviors to change emotions. So cognition and behaviors, if you change it, your emotions change. So when a trained therapist would sit with a client, it is a lot of cognitive restructuring and the negative narrative or the thoughts. Uh, that is done in the office, and then there is recommendation of certain changes in the behavior, which changes the, hopefully, the chemicals in the body to reduce the symptoms of depression. Yes, and mm-hmm. and if someone wants to do deeper work, the more underlying issues that has led to uh, depression. Uh, I would have that conversation with them if it is trauma-related. And even if it is not trauma-related, uh, I would use EMDR. So I'm trained in both methods, and th- those are my preferred methods.
0: And and EMDR, what is that? Uh, because terminology like CBT, EMDR, the, I would say the vast majority of the general public may not understand these methods. But EMDR, um, in a previous conversation, you said this is also a very effective modality for for mental health. Please, please describe what that means and what EMDR does.
1: So EMDR initially came in uh, as a treatment method for treating trauma. And the way it works is that Our memories get stuck when the trauma happened. So the brain processes the information in the moment of that trauma, gets stuck. And then later on in life, when the triggers happen, the mind and the body goes back to the memory or the subconscious memory of when the trauma happened. And that is when a person goes into that emotional distress state. So the way EMDR work is we help the brain process that information uh, with a balanced thought, left and right brain, emotional and cognitive brain. Basically, we help that brain to get connected. And instead of the brain just thinking from emotional state, which I was doing as a child and or the way my father does cognitive state only. He processes trauma cognitively with EMDR. You start processing the trauma or information using both lobes of your brain. And the actual technique of doing it is bilateral stimulation to the body. And there are various methods of that bilateral stimulation to the body as well. So and, and,
0: once, mm-hmm. uh, and what could be like um, maybe just a hypothetical situation. And obviously, confidentiality. But if we could walk through like a uh, you know uh, a case study, uh, it can be just a general one or, or or not specific. But but let's say somebody comes in for you know anger issues or resentment or something like that. And then they go in through the treatment. What can be the? because I think what, what I've seen in myself, and I'm sure others have experienced is these repetitive uh, thoughts of uh, uh, different things from the past, whatever they may be. And it's almost like a loop. and it just kind of almost feeds into this kind of negative emotional state. And it's almost like instead of the greatest hits, it's like repeating the, the worst things again and again. Uh, which which result in uh, in just continuing uh, this loop of uh, let's say depression or anger. What would what would the EMDR like if we could walk through somebody that is going through it and how it helps and how how long it takes for them to kind of get out of a certain repetitive negative mental states.
1: Um, so Tarek, of course, I won't be able to share any client. Um, um situation here, uh, even hypothetically or without names, Um, but I can share my own uh, because I went through EMDR myself. So uh, what I was telling you previously that when I disclosed to my parents that there was incest in the family and my parents uh, was completely in that denial I was very traumatized. I was not traumatized because of the incest. I was traumatized that my parents were in denial. A Couple of days after that, they cut off the uncle. My trauma got resolved because I was traumatized. My emotional brain was activated. My nervous system uh, was in that state of one narrative, that they don't trust me, they don't believe me, they don't care for me, they don't love me. And then once they cut off the uh, uncle, the narrative change. And it's like, okay, they believe me, they trust me. So I never went for EMDR for that. However, when I went back to my father and I said, I forgive you, and he said, why? Sorry, what he said was, uh, for what? that was my emdr session so now when i went to the emdr i was prior to that i was angry upset um, that it took me so much courage to say to my parents i forgive you i went through my own healing journey i was invalidated i was not heard i was not understood all those negative narratives so when i did my emdr interestingly it was only one session um the new narrative that came out was that whatever was happening in that big ancestral home, three generations, and my parents were absent, they did not know what I was going through and what I went through. And it was not intentional. So the new story was when my father said, I, uh, for what? It was not that he was, uh, Not validating me, the new story that created for me through EMDR by left and right brain connection was that my parents were not even aware of what was happening. So the moment the narrative, the story changes, you find relief. And that is what EMDR does. There's a new cognition, new story that develops with the connection of the neurons shooting between the left and the right brain.
0: So the habituated uh, emotional pattern uh, and thought process in a negative way about a certain incident, the EMDR through the process can shift that uh, emotional pattern, thought pattern that's negative and and debilitating to a new understanding of the same incident in a different Mm -hmm. way that creates a different thought pattern and a different emotional pattern that's more positive.
1: Perfect. You summarized it so well. I'm just thinking, you are the EMDR therapist here. <laughs> Perfect, Tarek. <Alex. laughs> you did a great well, job there.
0: Well, 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 you explained it uh, very well, and, and, and that that was the understanding that you provided for me. And, and now people, as you know, uh, are resistant. Uh, for this like a lot of people understand to lose weight and uh, physical health you have to take medicine you have to take your vitamins and exercise and what have you but what runs the whole show is the, is the mind and and the brain and the thoughts and the emotions and and strategies and tools because uh, um, it, it, you know we can be in a good mental state um, in a certain period of life but then something happens and then uh, we're, we're in a, a terrible emotional state. And I would say, you know, as a father, if I'm in a negative state, as an example, it has an effect on my wife, my children, the people around me. Um, so wow. um, in terms of mental health having such an effect, not only on the person experiencing it, but the people around them, um, mm-hmm. let, let's, let's maybe talk about how... Uh, you know, we talk about trauma, and one person's mental health issues can affect other people, and mm-hmm. uh, and in a in a negative way. And maybe traumas that that people experience when they're younger, uh, and 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 the the uh, the behaviors uh, that people uh, hurt people hurt other people intentionally mm-hmm. or unintentionally, and and in that arc to break that cycle. Of, 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 of these these patterns. And uh, you'd mentioned earlier that, that you, you've done therapy for other uh, therapists and, and therapists do get therapy as well. But for families and uh, uh, people that need support because a loved one has mental health issues, maybe let's talk about that holistic view, how mental health issues affect the, the immediate family and the, and the social circle of that person and, and how to address that?
1: So, so, Tarek, this is the concept of intergenerational trauma, right? And if um, one person is experiencing uh, mental health issues uh, and they go untreated, there is a Likely potential of uh, home environment, which is not uh, very healthy. So, the person who may be going through mental health issues may not recognize themselves, but maybe the family recognizes it, or maybe the family does not even recognize it. But then it manifests in different ways. Um, employment-related issues, um, um, relationship breakups, uh, parents experiencing mental health issues, and then children going through substance use. So it manifests in different ways, in very complex ways, which we may not even recognize it, but it does manifest. And that's the time most of the people would show up in our offices when they start noticing these signs and symptoms. So what my message to people is that if you do recognize that things are not right, something is off, there is no harm in having a one-hour conversation with a professional and asking uh, their advice. Like, when I was growing up, as I said, at the age of seven, I knew there was something off. My parents knew there was something off. They took me to a psychologist. I ran away. Uh, But I was showing symptoms of anger, but my parents did not recognize at that time. Uh, Of course, there was no awareness that we had intergenerational trauma, starting from grandparents, because how in horrific state they uh, migrated. And then my father being in the military with the PTSD and how my parents had to make up their business and being emotionally away. But then it was showing up in my behavior. But everybody above me, my parents and grandparents, uncles and aunts, they were in complete ambivalence that it was their issue. So if you start noticing something in any family member, in your employment, in your relationship, go speak with someone.
0: And and when you say off, would that mean, um, could it mean like uh, being withdrawn? Could it be uh, tantrums? Could it be, um, uh, you know, isolation or just addictive behavior? Uh, or, or maybe, maybe, Let's talk about the off. Well, feeling off. Maybe describe some of those symptoms of feeling off, like lack of motivation, lack of drive, or anger, resentment, these type of things.
1: Yes, everything you said.
0: Yeah. Also, and, and, go ahead.
1: Mm-hmm. Add Please on ahead. to it a, a negative narrative. I am not good enough. I can't do it. Uh, my colleagues talk about me. Um, my boss uh, never recognizes me. Um, so a lot of negative narrative, a lot of uh, resentment towards others for not um, uh, support, being supportive towards the, them and blaming their own negative narratives on others besides all the long lists that you told me. So this piece, what I'm saying, is majority of the time is missed.
0: And, and you said blaming others. Um, that's interesting. So when people start blaming others for their problems, like blaming, you know, as you said, maybe in the workplace or maybe in the family or blaming somebody else for, for their problems, that, that is a, a telltale sign hmm right. And, and in terms of like, you know, even things like paranoia and uh, psychosis, when it becomes very extreme, um, uh, you know, I think a lot of times uh, the, the uh, mental health issues in families uh, could be so common, people think that it's normal when it's not normal, and, and they don't know that it's not normal. And, uh, and so, these telltale signs that, that, that maybe some families, it's, it's so common amongst family members that, that, that they don't know it's not normal. Could that also be uh, a lot of undiagnosed mental uh, illness? Just like you said, your father wouldn't uh, accept uh, PTSD as, as a reason for any issue. Um, the denial of mental health issues, is that a big problem that you face as well?
1: Right, so that becomes the norm, right? So when there are symptoms around, like when I reflect right now, all my four grandparents had PTSD symptoms. My uncle and aunts uh, who were born to those grandparents had emotional regulation issues. Um, so, uh. I, to tell you the truth, I did never notice my parents having emotional regulation issues, but my parents were very withdrawn in the sense that they were very physically present for us, very active with us, but emotionally not connecting with us, uh, connecting with us at a cognitive level. So what basically happens is then it becomes a norm in the family. And then now, like, for example, I have my children and my family, and I, uh, my husband also comes from a military family, again, interestingly, his father and my father fought the war on opposite side, right? So that's another dynamics in our family. So my husband comes from a military PTSD background as well. And now we have these two kids at home, me and my husband dealing with our own issues. And now we have the teenagers, uh, which we have to deal with. So what is happening in a family like this is his norm and my norm coming from our previous intergenerational family background now becomes the norm in our family. And if I won't have done this for a specialization uh, I guess this intergenerational trend would have continued. so wow. the the problem I see is the norm here.
0: Is the normalization of mental health issues um, which can keep repeating itself unless uh, professional help is provided to to disrupt that negative pattern, which has become normalized?
1: Right, right. So it's, so it's just acceptance that this, these symptoms are normal. This is, this is how every family operates. My family operated. My grandparents operated. So now my home, immediate home, operates the same way. That, that symptom becomes the norm.
0: And by having this objective support to a counselor from a therapist that can see you objectively and your dynamic and your environment and your relationships objectively, and see it because I think a lot of us that are in certain relationships and environments may not necessarily see how it all interplays with mental health issues, but by having an objective person, a counselor, a therapist, to be able to see the the whole package objectively and unbiased uh, is able to diagnose it uh, because when it's normalized mental health issues within a family and individual, it's hard to see it objectively. And by having a professional uh, like yourself and others to be able to to see that objectively and be able to see this is a cycle that's destructive and repetitive, and this is how we can break out of that uh, generational trauma.
1: Correct, correct. And and Tariq, that is why I have around 40% of my clients presently are uh, therapists, like counselors. Themselves, yes. Yeah. So uh, that's what I specialize in. Uh, so again, as a therapist, we have all the skills and the tools. We can we can objectively look at others, uh, but when we look at it ourselves, it is difficult. And that is why, even as a therapist, we need to go to a therapist. So people who are not even trained in mental health it is really important that you do go get your help.
0: Absolutely. And I know we allocated uh, one hour for this uh, discussion and interview, but there are two important items that I wanted to discuss. And uh, and they all kind of are related, but uh, modern day issues and uh, things that I think are exacerbating mental health issues is um, addiction to online kind of situations, whether it's online pornography or social media or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, now kids today don't go outside and play. They're fixated on the TV, the 24-7 entertainment of, you know, anything and everything that suits their interest, or social media worlds and and the toxicity of that kind of online uh, where, where 8, 10, 12 hours are being spent online. And and this is a modern day issue uh, in this last twenty years, where where people would rather have these online kind of uh, experiences than real world experiences, whether it's youth or adults. With this kind of issue uh, and addiction to technology and, and social media and, and the the, the you know, what, possibly pornography or even you know whatever issues there are online. Um, in your practice and in your experience, are are these becoming much more prevalent? And are a lot of people uh, kind of communicating with you that uh, most people would rather be on devices rather than interact with one another uh, in reality?
1: Yes. Um, We call it process addiction. And process addictions are very common. And with the substance use addictions getting so much coverage and so much uh, information and programs and supports available out there, I notice a lot of parents would say, oh, at least my kid does not take uh, cocaine or cannabis. They're just on their technology. So, The process addictions are undermined um, because we start comparing them with substance addictions. And it is getting more and more prevalent. The question is why they are getting prevalent. And what is the method or the protocol or uh, as a clinician or for the parents to help with that? So... My opinion is they are getting prevalent because for the same reason that substance use is used, uh, addictions are for. So there's an underlying cause, there's an underlying reason why a person needs to, uh, it's, uh, has a sex addiction or has uh, uh, social media addiction or gaming addiction because they are calming themselves they are distracting themselves and what they are calming themselves from, what they are distracting themselves from, is that underlying reason. Is there conflict at home? Uh, is there boredom? Is there uh, attachment issue in the family? Uh, are the parents uh, uh, not available? Um, is there, um, are there racing thoughts a person has? And they use gaming to stop those racing thoughts. So knowing those underlying reasons and understanding them uh, from the parents' perspective, and then uh, the reaching the right, reaching for the right help. Everyone is not trained as a therapist for process addictions because there's a lot of uh, family involvement in process addictions as well. So I recommend clients to reach out for the right help, and then the therapist should know what's the right protocol to support that specific family. And, and here there's a cultural piece, which is very critical and important. Uh, not, uh, unfortunately, um, not all therapists, uh, uh, would understand it from the cultural lens, especially the Muslim or the Islamic lens. Um, and I, and I hear, um, a lot of my clients coming to me saying um, uh, that my therapist did not understand, and they they are very extensively trained in process addiction, but they miss the cultural piece to it.
0: Yeah. And and that cultural piece is crucial because that that forms the context of, of the situation of the, of the person. And mm-hmm. and when and when we talk about like you brought up gaming and 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 so again these processes what what's driving like you know eight hours of, of gaming or 10 hours 12 hours like which is a common thing now with 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 kids and even a phenomenon of watching other people play video games which which i find to be maybe it's my age uh, i i don't understand that and uh, so so these are modern day ailments and you brought up another issue which is uh, drug addiction and alcohol addiction which which does bring in you know which which has most of the attention and and sadly alcoholism and and drug addiction are 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 killers as well and uh, mental health issues exacerbate the desire as you said when people are trying to calm racing thoughts or or other kind of negative emotions uh, they'll medicate with uh with drugs and and, uh, and and alcohol um, it, it, I know our time is limited, but I, I did want to cover this piece of mental health issues as it relates to drug and alcohol addiction, and what are the supports, or how can even the work that you do and others that, that are trained to help people get out of physical addiction to drug and alcohol, drugs and alcohol?
1: So with process addiction, it's the same. It's self-medication, right? Right. Um, self-medication in the sense that your brain is producing dopamine when you are uh, following that process so it is still self-medication now um, in terms of getting the right help um, how to get that right help there is a bc substance use um, organization just search it up And uh, there are a lot of resources available over there. Read them to understand. And there is a full tab on available for clients. Uh, Understand uh, what you're going through. If you are noticing something off, as I said before, and then um, speak to your, the first uh, suggestion I always have for people is bring it up to your GP, if you have a family doctor. If you do not have a family doctor, um, speak with your walk in doctor as well. Um, and then uh, let the GP recommend uh, what's the next course of action. Okay.
0: And, and, uh... Uh, in wrapping up, we, we covered so much ground. And, and I'm, like you said, every every item we discussed deserves to, to its own specific space to, to, to really elaborate on, whether it's addictions or, or process addiction, gaming, and social media. But the final takeaway uh, for those, uh, again, as we talked about our culture and religious backgrounds, uh, Mental health support and mental health treatment—you know—a lot of people, you know, you know, people because it's intangible. It's not like a physical medication or or, or actual pharmaceutical. It's, it's it's something intangible that people can't touch or quantify the value. But really, the the uh, the software operating system of our lives is our is our brains and our emotions. Now, for those that are skeptics and for those that are reluctant and. Uh, and, uh, and as you know, there, there are a lot of people that are resistant to change, but people invest a lot in their physical health through trainers, through diets and exercise and vitamins and supplements and all that. But for mental health, which, which really affects everybody, it affects our lives and affects everybody around us, to, to really, what would be your, your final message? Um, again, to take analysis, as you said, when you feel off. Uh, or you sent somebody in your family or in your social social circle that's off, that they should need some professional uh, assessment from a professional like yourself and others to be able to to kind of help that person uh, professionally, rather than as you were saying, your father said, "Oh, I have no problems. I don't need help."
1: Um. It's a difficult question, Tariq, because if a person is an ambivalent and they are not going to get help, then the people around them who could be more aware, they can go get help. And there are uh, uh, there is a concept called where we may not need to meet the whole family or the person who is experiencing mental health, we work with one person in the family who can be the change agent for the family. And this is exactly what happened in my family, right? I, I changed my profession, became a traumatologist, and then I went and helped my family. I, I would recommend that people, uh, family members or friends who are noticing someone, loved one in their life who's going through mental health concerns, uh, call the Muslim Food Bank uh, Aspire program. You can find that telephone number on the website and call them and request to speak to a counselor. And the counselor will be able to guide you and help you um, navigate through your own unique situation.
0: Excellent. And, 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 and just wrapping up um, for those that have never had therapy, those that have never had treatment um, again, the quality of life, uh, because you are the change agent in your family, uh, the quality of life in your own life and the quality of life in life and others for able, for you to be able to understand what these uh, emotional patterns and uh, negative states uh, to be able to recognize, call them out and heal them uh, in, 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 in whichever degree, um, I, I think one person has to make that uh, difference in their own family and and take that plunge to get that uh, treatment and help hopefully bring their family members and their loved ones uh, to the same process. Would that be yes. a fair thing to do? Yes. So Yes. So Mobina, uh, thank you so much for taking this time And uh, as you said, uh, the Muslim Food Bank and Aspire to be able to to contact uh, the organization for the organization to connect to professionals like yourself uh, for this much needed work. And uh, and anyone that has a sense of something being off, as you said, uh, depression, anger, anxiety, resentment, uh, uh, racing thoughts, um, uh, any number of strange behaviors that one would recognize as often their own life or others that they need to reach out and uh, and get some professional objective help to help them so i want to thank you again for the work you do and and the profession that you're in because it is much needed and especially in this day and age we 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 definitely need uh, need as much help as we can for our community so i want to thank you again mobina thank you for joining us and again muslim food bank aspire and uh, thank you, uh, Sister Mobina Hassan, for for being with us today.
1: Thank you for having me today, Tariq.